In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Hello, everyone. This is John Lim with Moving Forward, and today my guest is Jess Gartner. Jess is the founder and CEO of AlloView, a pioneer in educational financial technology for schools and school districts. Jess has been written up in countless publications and has won many accolades, including the Smart CEO Innovator of the Year, the Best New Incubator Company of the Year, and was named a 30 Under 30 in Entrepreneurial Education by Forbes. Jess was recently credited for giving birth to the ed fintech industry after raising an incredible $1 million in investment seed funding. Prior to this, Jess was an education director at Betamore, a seventh grade social studies teacher, and a core member at Teach for America. Welcome, welcome, Jess. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, John. Well, thanks for being on the show, Jess. I'm really excited to unpack your story a little bit and share it with our listeners. But before we get started, could you tell us a little more about AlloView and what exactly is the ed fintech industry? Absolutely. So AlloView comes from uh, two parts of the name, comes from Allo from allocation and view for viewing your allocations. And it is all about giving school district administrators access to viewing their financials and how they're allocating resources to schools across the district and how the district as a whole is distributing resources in an equitable way across student populations. And so this was very much informed by my time in the classroom where I saw the incredible impact, for better or worse, that available resources could have on teaching and learning. So, for example, I worked at a school where it was really hard to come by basic resources like paper, textbooks, Mm. library books. And there were other schools in the city that had really robust technology offerings and extracurriculars and really exciting field trips in addition and above and beyond the basic resources. And I saw the consequences of that in the classroom. I think it has a tangible effect on students as well as teachers. And if you look at the numbers, teachers are sadly leaving the classrooms in droves. So I think it's really important to pay attention to things like teacher satisfaction and are we supporting teachers in doing their jobs to the best of their abilities. So I became really fascinated by this idea of resource allocation broadly and more specifically as it pertained to finance and financial data, because as I started exploring this problem, I learned that at the heart of it was really a lack of access to information or a lack of access to information in a digestible accessible format. And so, you know, I had this sort of crazy idea of what would happen if we had mint.com for schools where principals and decision makers could track their finances in a really user-friendly way. So we call it Ed Fintech, and it is the blending of three worlds, which is education data, things that are related specifically to student outcomes data, like attendance, student achievement, anything that that you would track at the school or classroom level. And then you have the finance data, and then you have the technology and design aspects, which is how is that data coming in and how is it being presented 
to the end user and what is that experience like? Oh, that's fantastic, Jess. It sounds like an incredible undertaking and you are providing not only a whole new industry, but a much needed service to the schools and school districts. So I'm really curious, Jess, if you could fill in a little bit about your professional and life resume and tell us more about yourself and your journey starting out in the education world and then progressing your way to starting your own company. Sure. So I like to say that Aloeview is quite literally in my blood because Mm. my dad is an engineer and my mom, when I was younger, was super active as a finance commissioner of all these state nonprofits. And so I kind of got the technology side from my dad and the love of finance and data and math from my mom. And then the third dimension of that is that both of my parents were super frugal. And so, you know, my mom was always clipping coupons and looking for sales and bargains and a value that was instilled in me from a young age. And my grandmother and great grandmother were teachers. So the whole education thing is is in my blood as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, So I was obsessed with school supplies from a very young age, like those commercials of the it's the most (laughs) wonderful time of the year. Like the guy who wasn't right. I mean, God, I love those back to school sales at Staples. I'd be playing with my school supplies while my dad was tinkering away on the computer and my mom was organizing these state finance accounts. So (laughs) that was sort of the vision of my childhood. What I'm doing now makes a whole lot more sense. That's so funny. So when I went to college, I... I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do, but I wanted to do something with a social impact. And through my volunteer work, primarily in college, I became really interested in education and specifically in urban education Mm -hmm. because I witnessed this tremendous disconnect between the Philadelphia public schools that I was working in in college and the suburban New Jersey schools that I grew up in. And it was really shocking to me how much of a difference there was in the educational experiences. And I wanted to learn more about that and I wanted to have an impact on that. So my whole college experience was pretty much focused on education policy with a specific focus on equity as well as value-added assessment and how do we track progress and and evaluate the impact of teachers on students. So that was my background. And then I think I have vague memories of maybe talking about law school, which... (laughs) (laughs) I I think that was a road best avoided. (laughs) But I do remember very clearly the day that I called my father and said, you know, I don't think I'm going to go to law school after all. I think I'm going to apply to Teach for America. And I think his response was, Teach for who? And it just, it wasn't as as well known even seven or eight years ago when I was applying. But I decided that I really wanted to understand what it meant to be a teacher and to work at the school level and understand why the policies that I was reading and writing about didn't really seem to be taking root in an effective way at the classroom level. So again, you see this theme of throughout my life of seeing a disconnect or a gap somewhere and really wanting to explore it. So I wanted to explore the gaps between these wealthy, affluent suburban schools and these urban metropolitan schools. I wanted to understand the gap between policy and practice. 
And I wanted to understand the gap even between schools in the same district and how resources are allocated to students. Just a couple of big takeaways. It sounds like you have had such a great influence from your family growing up, but you also were able to connect a lot of dots from starting out with your early love of school supplies and taking that and and developing that into recognizing a need in the schools and to provide more equity and also looking at things from a policy level. So if you had to distill it down, what would you say is your core passion? And how did you discover this passion? Or it sounds like this passion has been with you throughout your entire life. Absolutely. I think if I had to distill it down, it's really learning. And one word for that is education. That's sort of the formal manifestation or institutional quality of it. But I think just learning in general has been a huge theme throughout my life and in the work we're doing now. I mean, just starting from me being a a really voracious reader as a kid, I just, we would take trips to the library every week and fill up the car with 20 or 30 books and I would just devour them. And so I've always been sort of a little sponge for information, which of course delighted my teachers. I was sort of a a naturally good student because I just loved learning and I loved the experience experience of school. I think I was that weird kid that was sad on the last day of school because I was sad that I wasn't going to, I was going to have 12 weeks without (laughs) school. And I think that that has very much carried into my personal adult life, as well as what we're doing with Aloe View, which is when you really distill it down, it's how do you learn from the data how to take better actions with better consequences for students. And I think anytime that I'm faced with a an issue where learning from information is unnecessarily difficult, I am looking for ways to make it more clear, make it easier to understand, and make it more actionable. That's a really key thing for me. Learning is great and understanding is great, but what do you do with it and how do you take it into the world and take actions for greater impact on the world? I love that, Jess. It, it sounds like you've seen two sides of a very important coin. First, the, the passion for for the learning and being an information sponge. I love that. And then the flip side in terms of developing your career, but also starting up a company is what actions can you take to make an impact? And it sounds like you've been able to combine a lot of different interests into this one core passion that just started out with a love of learning and being able to help others facilitate their learning. So I think that's fantastic. Well, Jess, we're going to segue a little bit and dig a little deeper. And one of the questions that I like to ask all of our guests is, can you share a time where you failed, where you face what seemed like that huge insurmountable challenge, but it ended up being part of your road to success or a valuable learning experience for you? Yeah, this is a this is a little bit of a weird one. (laughs) Go for it. I love the weird ones. So I am a rather impulsive person in that I get an idea in my head and am so eager to make it exist in the world, Mm. (laughs) which I think is maybe a common plight of entrepreneurs. I think it is, yes. So I bought a house in Baltimore a few years ago, and I bought the house renovated because I neither trusted myself to make critical 
home improvements, nor did I trust that I would have the time to do them. And so I sort of saw myself sitting in this house like 10 years later with still no sheetrock on the walls. So so I bought my house renovated, but the one thing that hadn't been done was the backyard. The backyard was just a pit of dirt. And not only was it unsightly, it was just got really gross every time it rained. You know, the backyard just became this sort of mud pit. This was back when I was still teaching. So I had the summer off and I got this crazy idea that I was going to put a patio in the backyard. And so I went on Pinterest, of course, and started looking up all of these ideas and put together a little vision board for a patio and found this one how-to site for this 10 by 10 patio. And it was just pavers that were stained with really bright colors and it was just really cute and small and bright. And I thought, this is it. This is perfect. So that afternoon, I went to Home Depot and I just started buying supplies. <laughs> I, I was like, I bought like 100 concrete pavers, which, by the way, weigh like 20 pounds each. Yeah, those are pretty hefty. <laughs> <laughs> I bought sand to go underneath it. I bought a tamper. I bought stain for the pavers and I was so excited about this project until I realized that I had quickly accumulated about 3,000 pounds of materials. I was like, how am I even going to get this back to my house? And I really should have just given up at that point. Like, I think I should have just left the register and been like, I'm sorry, this was a, this was a mistake. But they were like, you can rent a truck. I was like, of course, of course I can. So I rent this truck and they forklifted everything into it and I got it to my house. And then I remembered that I had to get those 3000 pounds of materials out of the truck, too. So I hired these neighborhood children to come help carry everything out of the truck into my backyard. And then I decided that was a good day's work. That took me like eight hours just to acquire the materials. And then for the next maybe four to six months, I painted three pavers a day. (laughs) (laughs) And I tried to start digging out the frame for the patio. And it was around this time that I realized I had I had no idea what I was doing. I was in way over my head. I was very likely to make some sort of error that was going to result in like destroying the foundation of my house or cutting through an electrical line. But I was just I just didn't want to give up. And so it just sat there. These materials just sat there in stacks, like haunting me for about a year and a half. And every once in a while, I'd go out there and poke at it with a stick or move a few mounds of dirt. And (laughs) it was a total disaster. Oh, my goodness. So finally, I decided I was going to admit defeat. I called a landscaper and he came (laughs) over and he said, yep, yep, we see this a lot, (laughs) which made me feel even worse because it meant not only had I failed, but I had failed in a cliche way. And that was like adding insult to injury. And so I hired him to fix it. And now I have a beautiful patio. So my lesson there was that you hire professionals Mm. to do things. And even though that is a crazy example, it is something that I have 
totally taken to heart and in all areas of my life and with the company specifically. I am a total lunatic about hiring great, great talent. And it's hard in a startup because there's this constant tension between time, money, and quality. Yes. I think the saying is pick two. (laughs) (laughs) If you're lucky, you can pick two, yes. If you're lucky, yeah. And so there's this constant tension between time, money, and quality, but it really comes down to the fact that you truly do get what you pay for. Yes. And having something that is high quality and done by a true professional, it's really just priceless in so many ways. And I think it has so many ramifications on the business. I think because of that, because I was adamant about hiring just very brilliant designers and developers from the very beginning, it had this interesting effect where people thought our company was a lot bigger than we were. And we've, of course, had to catch up to their expectations in terms of size of our team. But that's just something that you can't put a number on that and people's perception of your company. And I've come to really loathe spec work. Will you do this for exposure type of mentality? Because I think people that do creative, high skill work, they're just so worth it. And you have to find people that are great to work with and consistently produce high quality work. But there's just something unquantifiable about having a true professional do what they're best at. Absolutely. I mean, the difference between having a mud pit and having a beautiful, (laughs) beautiful backyard. I think that's a beautiful story, Jess. And I think you really encapsulated the entrepreneurial experience, but also the whole idea of teamwork and being able to surround yourself with people who have different skill sets, who shine in what they do and being able to partner and collaborate. I think that is such an important takeaway, whether you're trying to further your career or you're starting your own business. So I really appreciate you sharing that. That is an incredible, incredible story. Well, Jess, I want to dive a little bit into life influences. So this next question is a two-part question. First, is there any media, be a book, a movie, song, play, that has been greatly influential in your life? And I've also had some guests talk about experiences too. So travel abroad, cultural experiences that have also influenced them in finding their life passion. Yeah, this is such a challenging question for me. Um, (laughs) It's a big one. If you come to my house, I just have so many bookcases full of media (laughs) that has influenced me that we don't have time to go through. Was there anything Um, recent that maybe sticks out in your mind? I will go through this a little bit in terms of genre, too. So. I was a theater kid, which I think is something that we share, John. We're yes. bo- we both have a little bit of the entertainer bug. I was a theater kid going back to elementary and middle school. It was just always a part of my life. I was that total nerdy drama kid in choir and in the other type of choir and play and musical and dance and all of it. And that's something that's really continued to this day. I actually still take a singing lesson every other week because it's such an important part of my life. I think I could write a book on how much the experience of theater impacted my life 
and the way that I approach the world and the way that I approach teams and working with people. It's just, again, one of those things that I don't think I could even put a number on it. One of the ways that theater continues to be really present in my mind is if you think about how a show gets produced. To tie it back to that conversation earlier about professionals, everybody has to be where they're best suited Mm -hmm. for the play to be successful. And you get to a certain age where you realize that you might be better suited for being in the chorus or the ensemble, right? And there's just some people who are going to be the stars. And I mean, that starts to come through in like middle school, but the stars don't shine unless the chorus does their job. And you don't see anybody if the lighting designer is not doing their job. The whole production is enhanced by the talents of the costume team and the props team and the stage crew. And all of it has to get pulled together by the director and the producer. And it's all about storytelling, right? How do you tell a story that people want to pay to come see and sit for two hours in a room full of strangers and watch and be hopefully delighted by. And there's so many parallels to me between the art of producing a show and the process of creating a product for the company. There's so many parallels and not the least of which is that everybody has a role to play. And also... (laughs) you might have to step out of your role, right? If the set crew misses their cue and you decide to be a diva, (laughs) you're going to be standing in the wrong set, right? Like nobody's going to look good. Or if someone drops a line and you decide that you want the audience to know that it wasn't you that dropped a line, you're still going to look stupid. So it's kind of about knowing your role and doing your role to the best of the abilities, but also just doing what needs to be done to make the show go on. So I'm always thinking about those parallels between theater and business. Beyond that, I am a huge, huge Joan Didion fan. I like to say that Joan Didion is my spirit animal Mm. because I just love everything about that woman. I love the way that she uses words and crafts stories in this very um, just like painstakingly simple way. I can and have just sit down and read her works for hours and hours on end. She in particular has an essay that's just one of my favorite pieces of writing called Unkeeping a Notebook. As much as I love words and writing, I've always really struggled to keep a diary or a journal. And I love Joan Didion's interpretation of what it means to keep a notebook. And her notebook is essentially fragments. It's Mm. the girl in the elevator. And she talks about how keeping a notebook, it's about what it meant to be you at that point in time, which I think is such an amazing concept. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it was a narrative of your day, But what are these fragments or memories that are just chock full of sensory images that bring sights and smells and tastes back to you? It probably looks like gibberish to anybody else in the world. But if you opened it 20 years later, you'd know exactly what it meant. That is actually a a method that I have picked up and now use in my own life. Yeah, I think those are are the big ones for me. Yeah, that is absolutely fantastic. And you've pointed out something that I think is critical 
for anyone who was looking at their careers or taking that 10,000 foot view and starting a business is the art of storytelling. In fact, I just recently interviewed one of the top storytelling consultants, and she's worked in Hollywood for many years. And the art of storytelling is so critical not just for those who are in the entertainment business or writing a play or staging a play, but in business too. Telling the story of your brand, I think, is absolutely critical. And I think you've absolutely hit that on the head. Hey, Moving Forward listeners. If you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of the Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com. Well, the second part to the question, Jess, is, is there a particular person that you've connected with that has left that lasting impression towards you finding your career path and life's passion? My father has been a hugely influential person in my life. We had a very, very close relationship when I was growing up in some of the traditional ways, like he coached my sports teams and he yelled at me when my math homework was wrong. And <laughs> <laughs> But we're very similar people and in a lot of ways, but I think the way in which we're most uniquely similar, <laughs> if that makes any sense, yeah. is that we both have a very bizarre sense of our mortality. Mm. <laughs> and as a result, we are both people who are obsessed with time and how we use it and productivity. Yeah. Uh, that's something that we've always bonded over and kind of tease each other about of like, you know, you could maybe just go have a beer on the beach once in a while and it wouldn't kill you. Um, <laughs> Again, that is central to what we're doing at Aloe right? Where it's, of course, uh, somebody who's obsessed with productivity and time is all about how do you best use resources? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a fantastic share that you've just provided our listeners. And it sounds like you and your father have a really unique way of looking at time. It is such a precious commodity. I think for anybody listening to this, for anyone who's looking at their careers, we're looking at starting a business, time is more precious than any other resource. And I think that's a fantastic, fantastic takeaway. And it actually leads perfectly to my next question, Jess. You and I have had some great conversations about falling into the passionless career and avoiding the dangers of the trading time for money trap. Yep. So what advice do you have for someone who may be listening to this, who is on that road and struggling to find their passion. Maybe they're in that job that doesn't get them up in the morning and they have ideas, but something is holding them back. Uh, what is your advice to someone who needs that extra burst of inspiration to do something different with their life? So I'm very much a gut person. One of my advisors calls me Gutsy Gartner. <laughs> Partly, which is a bit of a double entendre, it's partly because uh, I like to take big risks, but also because I rely on my gut and intuition for most major decisions. I'm sort of an imaginative person, so I always kind of had ideas bouncing around in my head, but none of them, none of them made me want to quit my job. That's a big thing to do, yes. unless you have some sort of, you know, you're independently wealthy and it doesn't matter, then go for it. But <laughs> maybe the um, one out of a thousand yeah. person who's listening to this is, isn't is in that wonderful position. But for the rest of us, uh, <laughs> what advice do you have, Jess? So 
I was addicted to this idea of Allo before it was called Allo before it was anything. I couldn't stop thinking about the idea. And I finally got to the point where I said, I am going to hate myself forever if I don't pursue this in some way. And in the time since then, I've had people come up to me and say, hey, I, you know, I have some ideas for a startup. Will you look at them or, or can we talk about them? And before I even look at them, I say, nope, it's none of them. Starting a startup is not a thing. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's silly. Don't, that's, that's not a passion. You can solve a problem. You can pursue a passion. And those things might turn into a startup or a high growth company or a lifestyle business. But don't do something for the sake of like a trendy media label. Mm -hmm. I think startups are having a moment in the mainstream media right now, which is cool for a lot of reasons. I think, you know, it's great to support the innovation economy and encourage people to be entrepreneurs. But a lot of what gets missed in that is that this is really hard. It is emotionally and physically grueling. And if it is not your reason for breathing, you're not going to be able to see it through. And so my advice is to people is that don't do something for the sake of saying you're doing something. It really has to resonate in every cell and fiber of your being because it is too hard to fake your way through. And it's just, it will beat you down. And in, unless it's something that you feel is like your reason for being on this earth, you're just not going to make it. And so I always tell people when you really find it, there won't be a list. There won't be anything to run by people because you will be filled with a sense of passion and purpose and conviction that's just unbridled and unshakable. And that's when you go and do it. And anything short of that, you're just not ready or you haven't hit it yet. And so I would say stay if you have a job and you're not absolutely miserable, like keep trucking with your day job until you really find something that you can't live without. I love that, Jess. And I think you've tied it in so beautifully into your life influences. It is that thing that will not leave you alone. Your passion, if you trust your gut, and it'll be in every cell in your being, it'll be the first thing you think about, it'll be with you 24-7, and that's when you know it's the right time. And it's not about, I love it, it's not about starting up a startup. That is a nonsensical concept when you think about it. It is about yeah. finding a passion that you're going to commit to. And it's funny because you and I, having been in the theater world, and I've done uh, acting in film and television, I didn't continue to pursue that because I realized it was not in every fiber of my being. And I've interviewed actors on this show, and that is a tough industry. And yeah. for them to keep on doing it day after day after day, I hear it in their interviews and I hear it in their voice that it is something they are obsessed with and it is in every fiber of their being. Similarly, being an entrepreneur is a huge undertaking. And as you said, it is a 24-7 commitment. It is not something you just do on a whim. So I love that, Jess. But also the, the takeaway that finding your passion really is about inertia. And mm -hmm. if you are still, if you allow yourself to contemplate what it is that gets you up in the morning, your passion really will find you. And if you are in that day job and you haven't found that thing that's really 
itching at you to make you want to leave that job, keep doing what you're doing and then your passion will find you and it's the thing that won't leave you alone. That's really what you need to pursue. And I love that answer. That's that's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. Well, Jess, what is next for you? I hope that I have this gig for a while. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when people ask me, how's the company doing? I usually say, well, it still exists. So that's that's good. <laughs> Anyone who, who has run a startup can tell you that the first five years are just, they're fragile. You know, yeah. it's, it's an emotional roller coaster. It's a lot of ups, a lot of downs, hopefully more ups than downs at the end of the day, week, month, quarter, year. But it's uh it's a real roller coaster ride and so i you know whenever i start to lose perspective and get like sucked into the vortex of doubts i think we're still here and i hope that we stay here i hope that we're here for a long time investors love to ask what's your exit strategy yeah which is a pretty good way for litmus testing entrepreneurs passion and commitment to what they're doing and also how long it's going to be until they see their money again. Um, (laughs) And my answer has always been that we want to take this as far and long and deep as it can go. I would love to see a day where Alloview is the gold standard for education finance in this country and every school district is using it. And maybe we extend into other industries. My chief product officer and I, when we have brainstorming sessions, just kind of sit back and say, there's enough work here for the rest of our lives. And I really think that's true. There's there's so much work still to be done, which, you know, going back to the emotional pressures of entrepreneurship, it seems like however far you get and however much you accomplish, there's still miles and miles to go before you sleep. Oh, absolutely. As they say. Yeah, sleep is one of those things that yeah, you have to squeeze in every now and then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's fantastic, Jess. And just congratulations on everything that you've done with Aloe View and the vision that you have and where you want to take it. I know that uh, you're on this long road, but it is fantastic work that you are doing. And I know Thank that you. the schools will benefit so much from that. Jess, what is the best way that our listeners can connect with you? The easiest way is to probably tweet at me. I'm at Jess Gartner, or you can email me, Jess at com. Okay, wonderful. We will have all of that posted on our website. Jess, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to share your insights with our listeners today. I've learned so much just talking to you. And I know that our listeners are getting inspired and they're taking away so many knowledge bursts from you. So all the best to you. And I'm excited to see all the great things that you and Aloeview do in the coming months, in the coming years. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, John. This is John Lim with Moving Forward, and we will be back with a new episode next week. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com. All rights reserved.